Hello, this is Donnie Foster, the pastor of the Journey Church in Fort Worth, Texas. My prayer is the message you are about to hear will be a source of blessing and encouragement in your life. At the conclusion, I'll share a few closing words and a prayer. May the Lord bless you as you listen. It has been awesome to see how God's been working over the last few weeks. And of course, there's a lot going on in our, in our world right now. We are, all are aware of that. And we're wrapping up Missions Month today. I want to say thank you for um, being here over, the, over this month, especially uh, having our special guest the last couple of weeks, the Isaiah Monica Fitch, who were here two weeks ago, going to Spain. We look forward to partnering with them and what God's going to do with them. Taking the gospel to one of the most unchurched, uh, atheistic countries in all of Europe, and it's hard to think of Spain that way, but that's how it is. And we had Jeremy and Teresa Hare and their family were here last week. They're going down to Hutto, Texas, to plant a church, a suburb of Austin. By the way, the most unchurched area in Texas is the area, Austin, and the surrounding areas. You're going to the places where, where they're difficult. So thankful they were here. Thank you for supporting them and letting them know, hey, we're looking forward to partnering with you. And today what we want to do is wrap up our mission month. Let me start off by saying this. We never know what type of impact we can have on the world. We just, we just never know. When you think of the conflict happening between Russia and the Ukraine right now, and I know that's on most everybody's mind. If it's not, it's going to be. It's a big deal. And when you think about that, it's, it's, a, it's difficult to imagine how we or anyone that we know so far away could make a difference. And I, don't want, I want to put that map up there, just kind of give you a sense and understand where the Ukraine is, you've probably looked at it, and, but if you haven't, just wanted to get a visual in your mind. Notice Romania is just south of Ukraine, and, and I've been there several times. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we do, I want you to understand if, or know something. A couple of weeks ago, some good friends of ours were here, Floyd and Sarah Brown. They sit right back here, kind of uh, back where, near where the Fergusons are this morning, and they were here with their three boys, and Floyd... Brown pastored a church over in Weatherford for a while in the, um, about 10 years ago, and he left, left under some difficult circumstances, and it just so happened that I was good friends with his brother, and his brother said, hey, there's a guy over in Fort Worth, I know, just started a church, go over there for a while. Floyd and Sarah attended here for about a month when we first began the church, and if you had a conversation with them, you'd think they're just this typical Texas family. Uh, the most typ typical Texas family you can find. But in reality, there's actually something very, very special about them. See, every summer for the last several years, they've been leading mission trips over to the Ukraine to work with a young missionary that we mentioned and asked you to pray for a few weeks ago by the name of Misha Dean. And each year, they have helped her put together and fund a summer camp for orphan children. And... Um, I think we have some pictures that are going to pop up from them right there. If you go to Floyd's Facebook page, and I encourage you to, to friend them on Facebook. Tremendous people. They have a ministry that we're going to have them come and present here in the near future. Uh, but you go on Floyd's pictures, and bam, it's him surrounded by Ukrainian kids. And they've been going over there, putting together a, a, a camp in the summer where they play, they do crafts, they compete in, compete in sports. But, of course, they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I talked to Floyd this past week, he, he told me, he said, each year there have been young boys and girls who have trusted Christ as Savior over there in Ukraine. Of course, their lives have been radically impacted uh, for not only eternity, but for the world that surrounds them right now. 
and I was very impressed with his, his children. He said that Elijah, one of their sons, came to him and said, Dad, with what's going on, I'm, I'm nervous and I'm afraid for my friends that haven't accepted Jesus yet. And I'm burdened for them. We've got to make sure they know Jesus. We've got to get back over there. We've got to pray. Oh, listen, if 10 and 11-year-olds were saying that to their children more in our world, how different of a place would this world be, amen? Let me tell you how you get that in your family. Send your kids on mission trips. Take them on mission trips. In our family, um, we've done this, and the DJ will tell you. We sent him to Mexico. We sent Savannah to France. We sent DJ, uh, Gavin to Romania and, and told Brock the other night, your time's coming. We want you to go. We want them to go and experience something different than here. We want you to be on the front lines for mission work. And I'll, I, I've had people say, well, aren't you scared about sending them to other countries? I'm more afraid of them growing up and not knowing that this world needs Jesus. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm worried of. And I'm so thankful that, that my kids have done that and, and many of your kids have done that. You, a lot of you have taken your kids on mission trips and done that and exposed them to different things to make sure they understand that people need Jesus. And thank you for that. Keep doing it. But that's how, that's how we, we should raise them. And I was so impressed that they had kids that were saying, we've got to make sure we get back over there. Here's why those few that have been saved make such a big deal. Because I've read this past week, and many of you probably have, that one of the tactics that the Russian army will use is they'll move into an area and they will force young men and women, and even women in extreme cases, who they believe have Russian ties, they will force them to join their military and in many cases turn on their neighbors. Saw an interview with a mom this week says, they forced my son to go and fight, and I'm going to fight against my son in this war. If they force him to fight, we will be at odds with one another. That's what the Russian army is doing to us. That's what this country is doing. They're turning families against families. Of course, many of them do resist. Praise God for that. At the same time, many don't. I want you to think about something for a moment. Think about being a young man or a young woman who grew up in an orphanage with no family to fall back on, like these, these kids or these faces that you see this morning, suddenly faced with a decision to either join the enemy or face possible torture or execution. Imagine being faced with that decision. You see, young people with no hope for anything better will often choose to join the enemy because they believe it's their only chance of living a good life. They think, that's my only hope. Yet those who know Christ also know if they choose to resist and it costs them their lives, they have an eternal family in heaven. Amen? See, it makes all the difference in the world how our world transpires and how business is conducted and decisions that are made based on whether or not people know Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, we've said it all month long and that we're going to hear stories in eternity about situations and circumstances that we knew nothing about during our lives, no doubt in my mind. And in many of those stories, I think are going to come back to normal families like you and I who chose to do something small that had a huge impact. See, there's a picture of Romania uh, on the screen this morning. Your, Romania borders the Ukraine. In fact, if you look at the very... Northern tip, just above Arati on the west-hand side, there's a little town called Satomare, and DJ and I spent a couple of days up there in 2017, or when we were up there, 
And uh, we were right on the border of Ukraine. We could look across the river into Ukraine. It's how close we are. Today, right now, hundreds of thousands of refugees are coming across and into Romania. Uh, but the Ukraine borders that place. And Romania and Ukraine, they're, they know the rhetoric and the conflicts that are happening right now all too well. And listen to me, because you allowed me, DJ, Mason, Gavin, and Savannah, and Sarah, and uh, Brother Mike Barber, because you allowed, did I miss anybody that's been to Romania? I think I got everybody. Because you allowed us and helped send us to Romania. Right now, we have connections with people that are helping people get out of the Ukraine right now. We've been able to connect them. We've been able to do some great things there. Uh, we connected them with Misha Dean, but she was able actually to get out of the Ukraine, and she is home in the United States, but is anxious to go back. Why? Because she knows that she's needed there to share the gospel. She'd rather be on the front lines than be safe at home. That's when you know you're sold out. Amen? You see, you don't know this, but if the Journey Church didn't exist, a young couple named Floyd and Sarah don't attend here during a time when they needed encouragement. We encouraged them. And way back then, they shared with me how friendly and opening everyone was and accepting them. And they were only here for a short time. They felt that love. It helped them get back on track for ministry, which eventually led them to go to the Ukraine, where they made an eternal impact on the lives of people in the middle of the mess that is happening right now. You see, church, it's not just big churches that make a big impact. It's all churches that take part in the work of the kingdom. Amen? I want you to know you're a part of that. With that in mind, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to see this play out in Scripture this morning. It's kind of a long introduction, but there's a lot going on in our world. And, and I want you to know that what we're doing is having an impact. It has had an impact and will continue to make an impact. Be in prayer about this. We'll talk more about it in a minute, of course. But um, Elijah Marar, when you go in our foyer, he and Claudia, it's the first, first banner. When you come in the door on your left, last one on your right, going out. Claudia and Elijah, I got a, got a video message from them last week about some things that, that they're doing to try to help out the situation. And um, so be praying about that. I, I want to encourage you to pray about giving extra towards that mission project over the next few weeks as they help out churches and Christians and people in that area. And uh, we'll just see how God leads and works things out there. I'm in contact with um, Elijah, sent me a message last night. And we're just we're praying through some things right now that we can do to help them. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's a very similar situation. Here's what's going on. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. He, he plants the church in Corinth. He gets it started. And then when he leaves, they kind of go haywire. And they start doing some things they shouldn't do. Uh, that's the only church in history that's ever done that. <laughs> right? Every church has done things they shouldn't do. Every church makes mistakes. And by the way, every pastor makes mistakes, including this one. I say this from time to time, time from time to time. If I haven't made you yet, mad yet, stick around. I'll get there, all right? Um, it's just, that's life. We're human. We're not perfect. Church isn't perfect. But thank God we have a perfect Savior, amen? The Holy Spirit's perfect. The Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and said, write this church, get them back on track, and one of the things they needed to get back on track was how they were partnering with other ministries, mission projects. Look at, look at the conclusion here. Chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
who are the saints? What's a collection? That's an offering. And if you're here this morning and it's your first time and you're like, oh man, I've been to church here one time, the pastor's going to talk about offerings. Yes, I am this morning a little bit, but ask the person that brought you, I assure you, I don't do this on a regular basis. But this is part of what we're talking about here this morning. This concerning the offering for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, and by saints or just believers, that's not somebody that a church designates as a saint and gets into heaven a saint is anybody that knows Jesus Christ as Savior, okay? And as I directed the churches of Galatia, that's the area of modern-day Turkey, so you also, also are to do. Paul says, I've given them some direction on this, about an offering, to help out some saints. We're about to find out that's people back in Jerusalem who were going through a famine and great persecution, a.k.a. everything that's going on in Ukraine minus war, all right? He says, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, each one of you, all of you, put something aside for this offering and store it up as he may prosper. As God blesses you, give back to his work so that there will be no collecting when I come. In other words, don't be reactionary. Be proactive about this. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry out your gift to Jerusalem to go down and help these saints who are in trouble. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So let's learn some things from this. Notice a few things. Paul's already established this church where there are leaders, members, and they were partnering with Paul to help him plant other churches. In other words, this is an established church that's now involved in funding mission projects. And that's what we've been talking about this month. They helped fund Paul as he traveled and planted new churches, and now they were about to take on a new mission project in Jerusalem where, as we said, there was a famine and the followers of Christ were being persecuted in great peril. So let's learn some things from this. Number one is this. We learned this. Established churches should be involved with mission projects. Established churches should be involved with mission projects. Now, let me tell you how we do that here at the Journey Church. Out there in our foyer, we've got all of our mission projects that are, uh, that are represented by a banner. We've got two more that we're taking on. Uh, the Hare family and the Fitch family that's been here with us this month. So we're going to be redoing our banners, and we'll have their pictures out there very soon. But what we do, and I actually have a picture up here of our, of our tithe envelope, our offering envelope. And again, this is your first time here. Uh, we're not asking for money from you. We're not asking for money from our guests or our visitors. That's for us. That's for our church family, all right? Uh, we'd love for you to come and be a part of our church family, and once you do, then yes, we would encourage you to give towards the work of the Lord here. But we're not asking for money from you now. In fact, you probably know, so we don't pass an offering basket. It's in the back. When God leads you, there it is. And by the way, I would never want to guilt you into giving money. Never. I want you to give cheerfully. If you don't give cheerfully, just keep it, all right? You'll probably never hear a pastor say that. Just keep it, all right? But if you're skeptical about it, I'll set you down with someone who is a tither, and they will tell you how God works. Amen, guys? Amen. Amen. God's, God's calculator has what? Different buttons. It does. It, it doesn't have the same buttons as us. You read Malachi chapter 3, and what you learn is God teaches us first to tithe. And so if you're here and you want to say, well, how can I get involved in giving towards a church? Tithe. What does tithe mean? Tithe means 10%. All throughout the Bible, we'll with Abraham, through Moses, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament with Jesus, through the established churches with Paul, what we learn is the local church is funded through the tithes of God's people, all right? And that's what we do, and you guys are very, you're incredible with that. Um, 
very generous, very giving. Our, our needs have always been taken care of here. We've always been able to cont- continue on our work, and I'm thankful for that. But the first thing to do with your finances is tithe. Give 10% to God. You say, well, that's a lot. You know, should, I, should I really do that? Did God really say that? Read Malachi chapter 3, and what you find out is God can do more with the 90% than you can with 100%. Amen, tithers? See there, it just works. I I don't know what to tell you. It's amazing me. I can't explain it. God just said, "Test me." It's one of the few areas where God says, "Test me." I'm gonna prove it to you, and it's incredible how God does. All right. And so the first thing is to tithe. You say, "Why tithe first before giving to missions?" There can be no missions without an established local church. All missions are sent out through the local church. All of them. All of those that we have out there associated with and sent out from a local church. You can't have missions without the local church. Paul is talking to a local church here. So tithe first, and then I would, I would encourage you to do something a lot of people call faith promise giving. You say, God, what would you have me to give towards missions above and beyond my tithes? Just pray about that. And God lays them out in your heart, give it. And then you pray and say, God, as long as you provide it, I'll give it. All right? And let me let you know something. God will always provide it. So how do you know that, Donnie? Because, listen, today I live very comfortably. I really do. You guys take great care of me. I came, I drove here in a very nice car today. And if I didn't drive in my very nice car, I have a very nice pickup to drive here. I live in a fantastic house, and I've got clothes and food in my freezer. You guys take care of me. That has not always been my story. It's not always been my story. I've been very desperate at times when it comes financially. I know what it's like to go and dig quarters out of the car, to roll them and go buy diapers for my kid. I know what that's like. I understand that there are times and seasons in life where financially we're here and financially here. But you know what Karen and I have always done? We've always tithed. We've always given to missions, and God has always provided. We've never missed a meal. We've never missed a payment, never missed anything. Now, I'm not telling you that to brag, and I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just telling you how awesome God is. God did that, not me. I, I'm not that smart. I, my, my calculator only has the same buttons yours has, all right? And it's not even a scientific calculator, and I don't know what those do anyway, amen? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to do all that graphing. I'm glad, I, I'm glad that I'm too old for that, and I don't want to go there, amen? But you can give towards that. You can give towards our You can do all that through through one check, put in your offering, or one donation online, and we take and then we designate that to where it needs to go. Everything you give to missions goes to our, our mission projects. Every single thing. We don't take out anything. Um, if anything extra comes in, we store it up for, for special needs for missions only. That's how we deal with missions. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you give online, then send us an email and tell us how you want it, want it to break it up and we will make sure it gets there. So that's how we do it here. But the second thing is this. Not only should established churches be involved in mission projects, but est- churches should also partner with other churches in mission projects. Paul, Paul's teaching the church in Corinth here to do what the churches in Galatia were already doing. And together, they were going to make an eternal impact. And that's what we do today. Everyone on our mission project list out there, they're all supported by multiple churches and individuals. The Troop family probably supported by the most. They have hundreds of churches and individuals that support them. Why? Because they're in Africa, in a place that's expensive to live, running an orphanage for hundreds of kids. It takes a lot of people to partner with them. Some of our, some of our ministries only need just, you know, uh, a dozen 
or so to partner with them. But all together, we make it happen. And just like the situation in the Ukraine, when you woke up this morning, you didn't know that you were a part of a church that was helping make a difference in what's going on in that part of the world. But you know what? You are. You are. You're a part of that. When you go to bed tonight, no, I'm a part of what God is doing over there this morning. Amen? So not only should churches do it, but churches together should do it. And the third thing is this. Individual followers of Christ should give to missions through their local church. Paul, again, talking to the local church in Corinth, said, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when they went to church, each one of you, that's all of us, put something aside as he may prosper. This is above and beyond our tithe. And by the way, I say this from time to time, but, but giving to God is not about amounts, it's about obedience. It's about obedience. When all of us are, are obedient, God always blesses. Say, so what if everybody's tithe was this little tiny amount? Then you know what? God's calculator's got different buttons, and it would work out, and God would provide. He always does. It, it, it's not about amounts. It's about obedience. And if we all do it, and, and, and most of you, and many of you do, and I'm thankful for that, and I want to encourage all of you to, not so we can have more money, but so that you can experience God's blessings. That's what it's all about, so that you can be a part of this. There can be no missions without the local church. We are the local church. We take care of our local church first, then through our church as God leads and provides, we give towards missions. And I, I want to encourage you to do that because God will bless and take care of you. Look at, look at chapter 16 and verse 5. As we go on through this great passage, Paul says, I will visit you... After passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I want to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus, a city that wasn't too far away, until Pentecost, that was a big celebration of of the harvest. Now get what he says in verse 9. He said, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. So he's got this chance to leave and go to Corinth, but he says, you know what? I need to stay right here. You know why? Because there's this open door of effectiveness. And I think I've got to stay here and deal with this. But notice what he also says, and there are many adversaries. I think verse 9 right there sums up Paul better than any verse in all of his word. Here he is with this chance to go and spend time in Corinth, and he's excited about it, and he needs to, because in this letter, if you read it, he kind of gets after him a little bit. In fact, he writes a second letter to kind of smooth things over, 2 Corinthians. And he eventually does get back there, and he, and, and he does you know, communicate with them and, and, and rebuild those relations and get, gets that church back online. And he wants to get back there, but he says, you know what? There's this door of this effectiveness, this effective opportunity right here in front of me that I need to go through. Oh, and by the way, there's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of adversaries. And that is Paul in a nutshell. And he says, there's this great opportunity. Oh, by the way, it's going to be really, really hard. And he almost kind of says it, I think, with a smile on his face. It's like, man, this is going to be tough work, but I'm willing to to do it. Fourth thing I want to share with you is this. The church must never allow our adversaries to keep us from the door of opportunities. 
See, there's a myth out there in the world in church ministry today that says things like this. People who are successful, they don't see obstacles. They just see opportunities. You know what? If there is somebody like that, stay away from me. I don't even like you. Amen? I will hide you on Facebook for being an optimist in the middle of a storm. Come on, somebody say amen, right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I don't like people. Just get away. Here's the deal. We can safely say Paul was successful, right? He wrote half the New Testament. <laughs> he planted dozens of churches. This dude's successful. He's on the Mount Rushmore of Christianity. Amen? Amen. Uh, but along with the door of opportunity, you know what he saw? Adversaries. He knew they were there. It's not that successful people don't see their adversaries. It's that they say, there's a door back there, and I'm getting there. And it's either around you or through you, but we're getting there, amen? To be successful, we've got to acknowledge that they're there, but we cannot allow them to stop us. We can't allow that. We can say Paul's successful, and he was, but he saw the adversaries. Think about this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them in the Old Testament? They were told, bow down and worship this great image of Nebuchadnezzar, or we will throw you, oh, in this secret place we're not going to tell you about. Just, you'll just have to see what it is. No. We're going to throw you in the fire. And they heated it up seven times hotter than it had ever been. A fiery furnace. They saw the fire, and they said, you know what? We will not bow down. They saw the adversaries, and they were successful. I want you to think about this. Daniel, he saw the lions, the hungry lions in that lion's den. And they said, listen to me, if you pray to your God one more time and you don't pray to the king, we're throwing you into that, well, this little place down there, and you know, it may be bad, maybe not, but you're not going to like it. No, it's lions, and they're hungry, and you're going in there, bud. You know what he did? Do what you got to do. I'm going to pray to my God. David, when he arrived at the battle that day, his brothers, older brothers have been there fighting. David, not yet a fighting age. Wasn't old enough to join the military. He's just running errands. He's bringing cheese and, and bread and stuff back and forth from the farm to his, you know, to his brothers. And he gets there, and they don't, when he says, what's going on? They don't say, well, there's somebody down there. And David, don't worry about it. You know, I'll go fight him. Okay, you can go fight him, but we're not going to tell you who he is. No, David looked down there and saw Goliath. All nine foot nine inches of this dude. Big, burly, mean, strong, the champion of the Philistines. David saw the giant, and he still went down in the valley, and he saw victory. My friend's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed to the Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Make no bones about it. When he said, let this cup, he was talking about the cross. Jesus saw the cross. My friends, successful people see the adversaries. They just don't allow them to stop them to going through the door of effectiveness. Amen? And it's time for us to stop praying for the adversary and the obstacles to go away. You know why? Because they're not going anywhere. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to say, God, remove this obstacle, remove that adversary, or take down this enemy. I pray that all the time. Nothing wrong with that. We need to understand something. Obstacles and adversaries and our enemies, they're not going anywhere until Jesus returns. So yes, we should pray those prayers, but those cannot be the only prayers we pray. 
at some point in time, we got to go to the furnace. We got to go to the lion's den. We got to go in the valley with a giant. And sometimes we got to do like Jesus said, and we got to take up our cross and follow him. Amen? That's what we've got to do. At some point in time, we have to start praying and boldly walking through the doors of opportunity for the cause of the kingdom. I read this past week. I wanted to get a grip. And Toby asked me, it's a great question last week. And he said, why, why do you think, what's the end game here with Russia? Why do they want the Ukraines? Have you been over in that area? And best answer I could give him was, it's just strategic, you know. It's a strategic location. And, and um, he and I were talking this morning. And there's a lot more reasons <laughs> than just that. A lot, lot more reasons. And I, I had to come to grips with, I don't understand everything that's going on here. I spent hours this past week just reading and reading and reading. Here's what I learned about Vladimir Putin. Putin was stationed at the Berlin Wall in 1989. He's the head of the KG, KGB at that point in time. When the Berlin Wall falls and comes down and communism crumbles, how many remember that day? I remember watching it on CNN. Boy, what a glorious day that was to see that thing come down. I, I, I was so excited to see that. But at the wall was a Vladimir Putin. He's the head of the KGB, and he doesn't know what, what to do. And he had directives to call and get information from the Kremlin in this situation. Kremlin is basically the White House and Pentagon and Russia all rolled into one. He calls, no one answers. Goes to the next protocol, burn everything. Don't let them get any information. Go into all the secret files, do everything you can. But I want you to think about it. At that point in time, as the Berlin Wall is falling, communism has fallen. The Russian government is in complete disarray. Vladimir Putin is faced with a choice. He can do what a lot of KJB operatives did and defect and go to freedom, go west, go into Germany, go into Europe, go to the United States, and a lot of people defected. Or he could go back. I want you to think about that. One man with one choice. What would he do? Well, we know what he did. Decided to go back. Went back to the chaos. And, and guys, through multiple sources, it won't take you long in line to, to validate everything I'm about to say. Putin goes back and over a period of time begins to snake and weasel his way based on information that he had. Instead of burning everything that day, he burned what he didn't need and kept the information that he needed and used it for his, his own benefit when he went back to Russia. Used it to work his way back into government. Weaseled his way to the top, and I say weaseled he did. He put himself in a position because of the information and the knowledge he had. He manipulated things gets in a situation where they put him in control of transferring the funds of the old USSR back to just Russia. And as he's transferring those funds, those funds start disappearing. And he, this man who was on the front lines, a nobody, suddenly becomes a multimillionaire. At one point in time, he's in charge of bringing in foreign aid. He sells valuable minerals to the tune of $93 million, and nothing comes in. Next thing you know... Putin is a multi-millionaire. Before long, he strikes a deal. We may have heard this word, Russian oligarchs. The word oligarch is a Greek word that means rule by the few. The Russian businessmen and women call themselves the oligarchs today because they want control of everything. Putin goes to them and says, hey, I can start seizing some of your funds because that's my job. But you know what? 
I'm going to leave you alone as long as you'll leave me alone. Now he's got the richest men and women in the country in his pocket. Next thing you know, he makes his way up to where he is next in line to the president. This is over a period of about eight years. Boris Yeltsin, you may remember his name, suddenly, unexpectedly in 1999, resigns. And who is appointed to take over? None other than Putin. And he's been in charge ever since. He's named temporary president in 2000. He runs, wins by a Democratic vote. It was widely disputed. But again, he had everybody in his back pocket. He paid everyone. So he wins his first term. He wins his second term. And in Russian law, it says you can only run for two consecutive four-year turns. So what does he do? He, he relents, but he promotes someone to take his place who agrees to make him prime minister. And so because he's already been there for nine years, he knows how the government worked. This particular new president just lets him run the country while he's prime minister. After four years, he graciously steps down, and who, who does he promote? None other than Putin. Putin goes in to, to, the, to, the, to the vote once again, wins in a landslide. There's riots because people know it's false. He has many of those people shot, killed, and imprisoned. It's documented. Many of them on his birthday, by coincidence, right? And he is elected this for a second time around. But this time while he is president, he changes things. As though a presidential term is now no longer four years, but now it's six years. Everybody gets upset, and he goes, that's okay, because once I'm out in 2024, I will not run again. That's what he says. Until last year, when he changed the laws again and said, no, now a president in Russia can run for four different six-year terms. And most likely he'll be president. Nothing happens until 2036. Why, did I, why am I telling you all this? Because one man was standing at the crossroads of his life and standing at the crossroads of history. And he had a choice to walk away or go right back in. And I'm going to tell you, when you think about people like Floyd and, and Sarah Brown and that team that's been going to the Ukraine, the next leader that rises up may be one of those orphan children. Or it may be that someone that Satan is after to be the next Putin resists. And says, no, 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 I don't have to give in. I've got a home in glory, amen? You see, one man can make a huge difference. One decision can make a huge difference. But one missionary team can also make a huge difference my friends, that's what I'm excited about today, to know that God is at work over there. We can't go back and undo what Putin did. I wish I could, wish I had a time machine, amen? Ever, ever been there, Uncle Rico? <laughs> Easy, I've already looked into it for myself, right? I'd love to put those crystals in the machine and go back in time. Surely we win stage, right? We can't do that, but you know what we can do? We can entrust that the Fitches have every opportunity to go through the door of effectiveness in Spain. We can ensure that the Hares have the opportunity in Hutto, Texas to do the same. Amen? We can ensure that the Wood, Woodfins have that opportunity in San Francisco. By the way, the most unchurched area in America. We can make sure the Turners have what they need to keep rescuing babies who are born with addiction to drugs. We can make sure the Marars have that opportunity in Romania to keep sharing the gospel uh, 
in a place that if Ukraine falls, that could very well be Russia's next target. We can make sure the troops have every opportunity taking children uh, no one wants, but God dearly loves. We can make sure that Arlington Baptist University and, Man and, and, and uh, Minnetonka Christian Camp, all of our mission um, projects continue to impact lives and for people who will go out and change the world. Journey Church, let me tell you something. You're making a difference. It's a dark world, but we're doing something. We're vigilant, and we're a part of what God is doing. So this morning, let's resolve to never allow our adversaries to keep us from boldly going through the door of eternal opportunities. Amen? We, we've got to commit ourselves to that. And we've got to make sure we've got some resolve. We say, no, 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 no. There are adversaries, but we either going around them or through them, but we going. Amen? That's what it's all about. Would you stand with me this morning? Heads about now. Thank you for listening to this message. Our goal is to reach people all over the globe with the good news of God's Word. If you would like to partner with us by making a donation, visit our website at journey-church.com. That's journey-church.com on a PC or laptop and simply click on the Donate tab on our homepage. By partnering with us, you will help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, I pray you bless those who have heard your word today. May you also bless their family and those whom you place in their paths. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.